What's good, everybody, and a welcome to another episode of What's Good Games Live every morning at 11 a.m. Pacific time right here on Twitch.tv slash What's Good Games. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Brittany Brombacher. Yellow. And please welcome our special guest, Steve Saylor, the Blind Gamer, is here. Hello. What's up, everybody? Hey, Steve. What's good, Steve? How are you? I, uh, uh, I'm having a very surreal week. so popular? <laughs> you're so popular and you're so famous now. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, will you, will you still be friends with us yeah. when you're, like, mega famous, Steve? I heard, you were, <laughs> I heard you were a pop-up notification on people's phones. Oh God! I I I just don't. That's exciting. It's exciting, but I'm like, why? Why me? I I just don't like. Oh man, it's it's been it's been so weird and crazy and surreal. Like it hasn't stopped, and I'm like, oh man, I uh, I I just don't know anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that I speak for everyone in saying we love you and you're great and the work you do is great and I'm glad that you could be on the show today. Um, So thanks for being with us. We have a lot of news to run down because of course this is your source for video game news commentary analysis and funny stuff every Monday and we have some recaps of what went down over the weekend and of course we're going to talk to Steve about his video on the gaming accessibility options in The Last of Us Part 2. Yes, of course, it will be spoiler-free. We are not quite ready to do any spoiler talk about TLU 2 yet. But before we get to that, we do have a couple of announcements. I want to give a gigantic thank you to Leslie Perotano and everyone at AMD for making our Pride PC build on Friday possible. As you guys can see behind me... It's so pretty. So I haven't finished setting it up yet. I'm still streaming on the old rig because I needed to take some time off because we had the Patreon streams on Saturday. And there's just like a lot of software and stuff that I need to get installed. But um, but the this in-win case looks beautiful and everything's great. And I'm going to be putting up a list with all of the individual parts. But if you're watching with us here on Twitch, the Amazon Blacksmith overlay or the extension should have most of those parts. But we'll be putting together a cut-down video. So if you guys missed it and you want to see part of how we built this bad boy, you can check that out. Um, We also were on an episode of Good Morning from Hell last week, which was really fun. And want to give those guys another shout-out. And thank you for having Brittany and I and Brittany, we've got some more streams coming up. We do. This Thursday is the cyberpunk, uh, what's actually called City Wire Night Wire. Night Wire? Night City Wire. Night City Wire. We don't know when this stream is actually taking place yet. I'm assuming we'll find out Mm-mm. today, maybe tomorrow. But when we Hopefully. do find out, we'll be streaming and we'll be talking about it. And you can watch along with us. It'll be great. Hopefully. No promises. It's going to be fantastic. Who am I kidding? There's, an- there's another stream we're doing, Brittany. There is? Oh, oh, not this week. You're talking about next week. Yes. Correct. Yes, okay. I, we're on the same page now. There's a little internet fuzziness going on. Yeah, so we're teaming up with GameSpot for the Play For All summer charity stream, and that will be next Tuesday, June 30th from 12 to 2 p.m. Pacific. We're going to be talking about what our favorite game of the year so far is, playing some games along the way. It'll be a fun time raising money for charity. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be great, gonna ladies be and gentlemen. Um, thank you to everybody who has been purchasing our Pride gear, as we've been mentioning all month for June. We're teaming up with the folks at GLAD. 
100% of the profits from the West Coast Games Pride March is going to GLAD. And we've got a lot of options. And just so you guys know, the Pride March isn't just going to like disappear after June is done. You can buy it at any time of the year. And the proceeds always go to GLAD. But we're just promoting it more right now because it's Pride Month. It's which is Pride very exciting. Month. Uh, real quick, Excess Oddities asked if we're reacting to Pokemon this week. Uh, in my pajamas, probably in the comfort of my own cave of my in my house. Because if that thing takes place at 6 a.m. Pacific, I love y'all. But I don't love y'all that much. I can't do it. <laughs> There's not enough coffee in the world to be able all, to fix that. But not that much. No. I love that. Yeah, my chat <clears throat> isn't loading. Mm. Let me re- yeah, there's a lot of stuff this week. There's the New Game Plus Expo tomorrow, but I don't. That's a very, very long day. We don't know when they're doing all their announcements and whatnot. Because we thought about, we toyed around the idea of streaming that as well, but we don't know when like the actual announcement section is going to be. And listen, I got to get through Tulu too. And then Wednesday is the Pokemon thing. Thursday is Cyberpunk. So yeah, we have a busy week ahead of us. But we're only streaming the Cyberpunk thing as of right now. Yes, that is. That's. That's, thing. that's the plan. Because we have um, some other things happening not on stream that we need to work on. But there's going to be no shortage of content for you guys at, at What's Good Games. So don't sweat about that whatsoever. Um, all right, cool. I think that covers all of the announcements. So now I think it's probably time to get into the news. So I wanted to give you guys one more reminder that if you are watching with us live and you have any questions for Steve and you haven't yet put them into whatsgoodgames.com slash drwgg, now's the time to do that because if you drop them in the chat, we'll try to see them, but we will definitely see them if you put them in the dock. So onwards with the news. So this morning, we've got Crash Bandicoot 4. It's about time. So we got some gameplay and we got in the new details. This happened with the Summer of Gaming Festival that uh, Mr. Jeff Keighley was doing. Did you guys see the photo that he took with the Crash Bandicoot mascot? They were both wearing masks. No. I did. It it. was so it was so awesome to see. Wow, overachiever. It was just like the fact that they custom made a mask for the person in the bandicoot was really funny. Yeah, yeah. So do we think that that's Jeff's house? Is that like what we're assuming? I think actually during the stream, oh, uh, he actually oh like gosh. did a whole he did a whole video where he actually showed up at Jeff's door and that I think to deliver the video of Crash. So I think that could be his house. I'm guessing. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> that mask Isn't is that- gigantic. <laughs> it's, it's it's massive. Yeah, people were like, listen, if Crash Bandicoot can wear a mask when he goes out in public, so can you. <laughs> That's a hammock. You can take that mask and purpose it as a hammock. Find a couple trees and then go fucking sunbathe. Yeah, exactly. But let's get on to some details, shall we? Activision has announced that Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, a brand new sequel to Crash Bandicoot 3, Warped. Uh, Spyro Reignited Trilogy developer Toys for Bot is behind the brand new adventure, writes IGN, which is set to be released October 2nd, 2020 for PS4 and Xbox One for $59.99. It's About Time is built from the ground up as a new experience in the spirit of the original three Crash games developed by Naughty Dog for the original PlayStation. Players can either play as Crash or Coco Bandicoot for the full adventure, with other playable characters thrown into the mix like Neo Cortex, featuring a brand new art style marking a departure from what Vicarious 
Carrier's visions created for the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. It's About Time will feature new platforming moves, new masks with special abilities, two major control schemes, and plenty more. To get all the major details, IGN spoke with Toys for Bob designer-producer Lou Stutter to learn about the new adventure. I'm trying to see here. I don't want to read this whole quote. So the article was really long on IGN, so I just grabbed this one thing for those who might be interested in the story of Crash. Essentially, it's the sequel of where Crash 3 ended, where Uka Uka and Tropy and Neocortex are trapped in time and space, but they're continuing gameplay, blah, blah, blah. The article continues to to speak about difficulty, new power-ups, modern versus retro modes, etc., etc. If you're into that, go to IGN. But, Steve, are you a big Crash fan? Did I just completely disrespect you? No, 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 no. Uh, I wish I was. Um, I mean, I played a little bit of it, so I'm sorry, Tim Geddes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I want to jump into it. But for me, platformers are really hard for me because my eye hand coordination is is off. It definitely can have effect, and I generally try to avoid platformers. Um, and also, like I, so I'm skeptical about playing the, uh, the new one, uh, Crash. For myself, mm-hmm. but also uh, I'm hoping that uh, Toys for Bob uh, will actually take accessibility into account because um, because they made the Spyro Remaster trilogy. They actually released the game originally, um, the remastered one, without any subtitles. Oh, and that was a huge uh, no no for uh, for those who are deaf and hard of hearing. And I think they they made they made a statement. Uh, I don't want to misquote them, so I won't uh, say specifically. But it was something along the lines of it just it wasn't in the original game so we didn't want we didn't want to put it in oh no and yeah they eventually did they did add a patch in that uh, add some titles back in but uh i'm hoping that they learned their lesson uh and there is at least a a plethora of accessibility options i haven't looked into sort of what they have for difficulty but because you usually have to have like really precise precision controls in order to be able to like do well and be able to make those jumps and and be able to knock out those enemies so that half on it i want to play it but I'm going to have to wait and see what they have available as far as options. That's fair. So in a game like Crash, what are some of the, for you personally, the top accessibility options that would help you play this game? Uh, I would say usually in games like this, large text mm. uh, is something that I'm always looking for, uh, or at least a way to be able to increase the font size. Um, and also I would say, you know what, like a good starting point is if you look at the, the game Celeste and it's assist mode, that was an amazing set of options for uh, for those who are just I can't play platformers either due to accessibility or um, just don't want the the extreme difficulty of, of what that game uh, can be as a platformer. So having stuff like that, being able to slow down time, infinite sort of lives or something like that can be a real benefit for and basically remove some barriers for those with, uh, with multiple disabilities or just in multiple different disability types. So. I would love to be able to see stuff like that. If there's like an assist mode in Crash 4, that would be a really, really cool thing. Good to know. Listen twice for Bob. Well, hopefully they they will they will add like more functionality. I mean, if you're gonna go back and make another one, like why not why not make it more accessible? And I'm so glad that you called out Celeste. I think it's one of those games that I continually bring up as far as like a pillar of accessibility options for people and you know, obviously sure. we're going to be talking about T. Lou and what they've done as well. But I mean, Celeste, just such a such a wonderful game. Yeah, just really love it. Andrew, were you sent um, a crash puzzle? 
Yes, I was, okay. actually. Yeah, because this yeah. game like, leaked last week. It was on a, uh, some rating board, and then merch leaked, and then there were promotional puzzles sent out. So it wasn't the best-kept secret. That- yeah, so I didn't post anything about the puzzle. The embargo for the puzzle was last week, and there was a note that came with it, but the note was not for sharing. It said that I could share the puzzle and I was just like, I don't, I felt like I was going to be, I was going to bungle it up somehow that I was going to make a mistake. So I just didn't post anything, but I have the puzzle and I could do the puzzle later and I can show you guys. Perfect. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to the next story then. Yes. Batman Arkham developer Rocksteady is making a Suicide Squad game. This comes from Eurogamer and I'm saying it in my obnoxious announcer voice because I, we the first to admit, I don't know that much about this whole Suicide Squad stuff. <clears throat> At least... A least, let me start that over. A list of leaked domain 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 names has set internet tongues wagging that Rocksteady, developer of Batman Arkham Asylum, is working on a game centered on DC Studio Squad Suicide Squad. Their domain names popped up yesterday at Reset Era, where fans noted they were registered by a company connected to Warner Bros. Eurogamer understands this to be accurate. I've heard, I being Tom Phillips, the news editor of Eurogamer, that one particular phrase registered as a domain, Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League.com, is a contender for the game's final title and a good simulation of what you can expect Rocksteady's next big project to be about. Other domains registered include SuicideSquadGame.com and GothamNightsGame.com. Gotham Knights refers to the unannounced Batman game currently in development at Batman Arkham Origin Studios Warner Bros. Montreal. Both projects are set to be teased at Warner Bros. upcoming DC fandom fandom mm. events in August. Eurogamer understands. Expect to see a little of Gotham Knights, which, while unannounced, has been continually hyped via Court of Owls hints for more than a year. Expect to see very little of Rocksteady Suicide Squad, which is further off from launch. Both projects are being developed for next-gen consoles. Um, that was amazing. Was thank it? I thought so it was much. pretty obnoxious, but thank you for that. Steve, did you hear any of these rumors about what Rocksteady was working on before this story broke? I followed along a little bit, uh, just kind of sort of the rumblings of what it could be. It was always rumblings of something in the DC universe. Um, I think it, at one point they said it could have been a Superman game, could have been a Justice League game, could have been another Batman game. So it's it's kind of interesting to kind of hear it today with the whole possible Suicide Squad. It's a definitely a unique take, and I would almost kind of see which sort of uh, like a, a stance they're going to take with it. Are they going to kind of go with the, they're sort of within the Arkham universe or is it going to be kind of separate in kind of an alternate sort of uh, universe sort of thing, um, which is known to happen in DC. So it, it could happen, but I, I am really interested to see what, what Rockstar is uh, Rocksteady is going to do um, because yeah, I want a Batman game so bad. <laughs> I don't think you're alone in wanting more Batman. I am really confused why they would maybe go the route of Suicide Squad. Not that they shouldn't be continuing to make stuff in the DC universe. Like, sure, that's fine. But I feel, I don't know why that Suicide Squad just feels so divisive to me based off what I like read people posting online. I feel like it'd have to be a multiplayer game, wouldn't it? I mean, it feels like it would be set up for a multiplayer game. Anytime you have a game with the name Squad in the title. <laughs> Squad, a like, single-player adventure. 
I mean, it will work out great for me because uh, my brother, uh, my brother and I, we try to play uh, video games when he can uh, because he has two uh, little boys. So it's kind of hard to get away to play games. But when we do, we're always on the lookout for co-op uh, games. So I really hope that if this if this game is is true and there is a, a co-op element to it. I know my brother and I would be very excited to be able to to be able to play this together because it it's hard to find a game that like a really fun game that has just like a co op a really good co op uh, side of it. So fingers crossed. So it sounds like this upcoming DC fandom event in August is where it's all going to be teased and revealed, which is interesting because remember the rumor was that Warner Brothers was going to have their own E three press conference, which I'm wondering yeah. what. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what I would guess is that Warner Brothers, you know, like the people at Warner Brothers Interactive, the gaming division, probably were looking at doing it on their own now that, you know, obviously E3 is not happening. It hasn't been happening. And we're like, <laughs> well, we could put a lot of resources into putting some kind of presentation together like we've seen from other people so far. Or we can tie it in with marketing budgets around another event. And I honestly think it's a smarter call. I think it's a better decision for them to make it part of DC fandom, especially if it is going to be Suicide Squad. So that way you're playing to your target audience like that is going to at least be set up to like it versus the general gaming public, which is going to be set up to shit on it. <laughs> Yeah, I think people are yeah, going to be. Right? Uh, I think people are going to be concerned whether it's going to be more the movie Suicide Squad than uh, sort of the yeah. DC animated universe Suicide Squad, which actually like some of their animated movies for Suicide Squad. They're not. I mean, they're not super great, but they're okay, and they actually are run by the same team essentially that has been making uh, basically all the way back to the Batman animated series in the '90s. So. I, I'm and Rocksteady kind of likes to kind of use a lot of the people from that. Like I think Paul yeah. Dini wrote, uh, I think he either wrote all three of the Arkham games, or at least um, uh, definitely a, a large chunk of them. And he was the one who created essentially the character of Harley Quinn. So I have I have high hopes for it. Uh, I just yeah I think that probably the general gaming public might are are, are afraid that it's going to be going into the movie route which it definitely just uh, I I I hope they stay away from. Yeah, it's interesting it's going to be fascinating if it is Suicide Squad and like I feel like all signs point to yes, right? That how the community is going to receive it if they choose not to use actor li- uh, likenesses from the film much like in Marvel's Avengers they went with a completely original art style and original storyline for a lot of really justifiable reasons. And so it's like, hmm, I wonder how Warner DC are going to handle that for their game. Hmm. Yeah. If only you had a magic eight ball, Andrea, that could give you all the answers you ever needed. If only I had a magic eight ball to tell me lies to my face. Oh, shit. Tell you've got to go bury (laughs) that thing. It's done. I mean, all I want right now, I, I hope the rumors of a Court of Owls uh, game from W Montreal, I really hope that happens. I love that storyline in the comics, and I want it to happen so bad. I would say Eurogamer has a pretty good track record. So I mm-hmm. think if I were a Magic 8-Ball and you shook me, I would say all signs point to yes. <laughs> Well, we will keep our fingers crossed on that one, fam. I'm sure all will become clear very, very soon. Um, all right, moving on to the next story. Nintendo chills mobile ambitions after Animal Crossing success. Ooh, so real quick, this, this is, is also a, a very, one. very long article on Bloomberg, but I just kind of 
picked an order. You know, some of the paragraphs that we can touch on. But if you want all the nitty gritty details, check it out on Bloomberg. Bloomberg.com, y'all. Okay, here we go. Uh, Nintendo company is retreating from the $77 billion mobile gaming arena after disappointing results deflated once lofty ambitions ending a multi-year effort just as the market goes through an unprecedented COVID-era boom. President Shintaro Furukawa proclaimed two years ago that smartphone games would be a $1 billion business with growth potential. Building on his predecessor's promise that Nintendo would release two to three mobile titles each year that spurred hopes among investors that the gaming powerhouse could carve out a substantial slice of the market. In May, however, the president adopted a markedly different tune, saying we are not necessarily looking to continue releasing I lost my place in the story. Releasing many new applications for the mobile market. Uh, Mobile games are expected to make $77.2 billion this year, which would account for half of the overall video game industry sales, according to research from Nuzu. But since the release of Mario Kart Tour back in fall of 2019, Nintendo's mobile pipeline is empty. In a sense, Nintendo's enormous success on console reduced the need and the pressure to put resources into mobile, says Sorkan Toro, a mobile games consultant in Tokyo. Fearing that it would harm the brand equity of its franchises, Nintendo asked its mobile development partners not to force players to spend a lot in games, according to people at those companies who asked not to be identified as the matter is private. A Nintendo spokesperson declined to comment. Nintendo hasn't announced what apps it will release next week, but the chief of its mobile development partner, DNA co-president Isayo Moriyasu, has said not to expect new apps from it until next year until the end of the current fiscal year. That suggests a long wait until Nintendo's next smartphone game. If you want to learn more about the details, of course, as Brittany mentioned, you can head on over to Bloomberg to read the full report. I am, for one, very happy they made this decision. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's been quite fascinating watching Nintendo kind of bumble their way through this mobile thing. You mean, on paper... It sounds like it'd be a match made in heaven, right? Fun Nintendo lighthearted IPs, put them on a smart device, and then profits and fun for all. But uh, clearly, if you kind of go back and you look through the games they've released, do you guys remember Mitomo? <laughs> Way back in oh the day. Oh my gosh, yes, yeah. yes. Everybody was obsessed with it. Yeah, I think that was their first foray into it, and that was around 2015. And you made a me, and then you answered questions. I don't know, they just shut it down a couple years ago. So, like, rip in peace. And then Super Mario Run which I personally was a fan of that monetization where it's free to start and then you pl- you pay nine ninety nine and then you unlock the rest of the game. That's personally how I would like to play my games. I don't like these little free-to-play and then throwing these microtransactions left and right. But that didn't do that well, despite I think it sold 200 million or had 200 million downloads. It didn't meet expectations. So then Nintendo's like, okay, well, we flopped that. Obviously, Fire Emblem Horny, Con- Horny Casino is doing well. I think Pocket Camp finally wrapped up. And then you look at Mario Kart Tour, you look at Dr. Mario. It sounds like those are just kind of gross. I'm still mad about Dr. Mario. Yeah. Still mad about it. Um, and then uh. even Dragalia, Dragalia Lost, I think is how you pronounce it. Nintendo had to go to their partners and be like, hey, we need it so people can actually win good things. Like, we, we don't want this to be super ugly. We want people to, like, actually enjoy their time with the game because we don't want them to spend that much. So it sounds like they've just been kind of, like I said, bumbling their way from... Um, Early interviews with Iwata, may he rest in peace, he was saying how, you know, it's more of a marketing strategy for Nintendo, that Nintendo wants to get their IP in the hands of many other people, many people in the world, and this could be a good way to introduce that. It's not so much about making the money, it's more about marketing. So, but then, you know, as the company has changed hands and other people have spoken up, it sounds like that is kind of 
kind of sort of changing a little bit. And now it's just like, no, it's not happening. Nothing's happening. Now it's just done. Rip. That's a really interesting thing to bring up. And I'm glad that you did because as a marketing tool, I think it is successful. It gets people talking about the brand and gets people talking about the IP and makes people nostalgic potentially for the games that they used to play. Maybe they'll go to the eShop and buy them on another Nintendo device, whether it's a Switch or 3DS or if they're still playing the Wii U, whatever they have, right? But I would be curious to know, which we'll never find out, of how much money Nintendo spent internally developing these titles and how much money they did in R&D and what games maybe they were looking at. They just never quite got the formula right. And making mobile games seems easy on the surface, but it's not. And making a successful mobile game is even more difficult, especially if you have to maintain it across hundreds of devices around the world. So interesting, but... I'm glad that hopefully they're going to take that money and put it into, you know, more stuff for Switch. Well, yeah, it's how do you strike that balance between pleasing investors, pleasing longtime Nintendo fans, and pleasing the casual audience? You know, that's not a very easy thing to do. So like I said, on paper, it sounds good, but I think if you break it down, like you were saying, it's actually very tricky, especially with Nintendo IP, I feel like. Yeah, Steve, absolutely. What do you think? I, I think... I think honestly, in a way, like okay, sure, yeah, new, brand new experiences on mobile from Nintendo. It's a, it was a cool concept. Like I, I was, I was invested in it from Super Mario Run, and then very quickly dropped off uh, shortly after that. I mean, I was kind of more uh, hoping and expecting that they were going to essentially take the emulation that they've been doing on the mini consoles and creating essentially mobile apps for them. Because I don't think that there would be a lot of Development. I, I mean, I'm 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 completely guessing, but I would I would have loved to have been able to see more of the Nintendo library being put into onto mobile phones. Like I would have loved to have been able to uh, play a Link to the Past on my phone oh. uh, in in a traditional like in, in a but like officially released from Nintendo. But then having the same functionality that is on like this SNES Mini, uh, where you can rewind back and and be able to like you can have multiple saves. Like if you have that sort of emulation and put it on there like i would man i like i was really hoping that with all the mini consoles that we were going to be able to get that as like okay now we have the nes mini console mobile edition or snes or even god man i would have loved to have seen an n64 version oh i think we're also hoping it's still coming but yeah you know it's interesting you say that steve because a couple years ago nintendo i don't know if it was a patent that was found or something but it was a game boy case of sorts that would fit over mm-hmm. your smart device. Do you remember this? And it, Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are apparently buttons you could push on it, and the idea was, is like, oh, well, maybe they're going to start bringing some Game Boy games to the, the smart devices, but that has been like a magic carp out of water, just flopping around. No purpose. Hasn't happened. Rip. Um, yeah. Danny in the chat says, why can't Nintendo make money off their ROMs? Everyone else does. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) But But very true. I mean, especially if you think about the power that is in those little mini classic edition consoles, there's no way that that's more high tech or more powerful than what's in an iPhone or any of the current Androids that are on the market. Mm -hmm. It just is a head scratcher as to why they just have not released it. You know, it's like... People will buy it if you just put it on the App Store. I will buy Super Mario <laughs> RPG for the tenth time. Just let me do it. Give me Earthbound. It's the Let's same. Go. It's the same mentality as far as like why haven't they put all that stuff on the eShop? Oh, like, I don't I don't get understand it. it. We got to we got to move on before I get, I'm getting hot and bothered over here and not in a good way. Oh, okay. Well, we don't want Brittany to get hot and bothered. I still understand in a, that company. In a bad, I love in them, a bad way. Okay. 
Um, so this, uh, let's keep the spiciness a rolling, <laughs> shall go. we? Uh, do you want to read this one, Brittany? I got this. Okay. <laughs> or do you need? To, or do you need to calm down for a minute? Because I can, I can handle. You know, it. I think I'm going to insert my spiciness into this, to, into this, the story. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go. The saga comes to an end, or does it? So, just for a little bit of background, we've been covering this Billy Mitchell, Billy Mitchell story since April of 2018. Andrea, I went through and I looked through all of our old show notes to see <laughs> how many times we talked about this story. Because at first. Okay, I'm going to read the story, and then, I'll, and then I'll give you a little history on it. Okay. <clears throat> Guinness reverses decision to strip Billy Mitchell's Pac-Man and Donkey Kong records via The Verge. Guinness World Records have reversed its 2018 decision to strip Billy Mitchell of his Pac-Man and Donkey Kong World Records, according to Ars Technica. I don't know why I always struggle on that word. And what is the latest twist in a long story about the notorious arcade game master at the center of the documentary, The King of Kong, a fistful of quarters? This means that, according to Guinness, Mitchell's once again the first to achieve a perfect score on Pac-Man, totaling 3,333,360 points, and the first to reach 1 million points on Donkey Kong. But Guinness stands alone in recognizing Mitchell's scores as Twin Galaxies International Scoreboard, an organization that that also audits and awards records, is sticking with his decision to not recognize them. Guinness World Records editor Craig Lende said in a video released Thursday that, quote, existing evidence and newly sourced eyewitness testimony, plus some new expert gameplay analysis and hardware verification, was reviewed before reversing the decision. Quotes, in the end, we found that there was just just wasn't sufficient evidence to support the disqualification across the board, he said. So TLDR, Mitchell set a Pac-Man score record in 1999, Donkey Kong in 2005. Those results faced scrutiny after people in the community discovered that Mitchell set them on video game cabinets that were running arcade emulation software. Twin Galaxies initiated an investigation, and despite finding inconclusive evidence that he cheated, stripped Mitchell of the records. So now Mitchell is suing Twin Galaxies for libel and blah, blah. So anyway, you might be thinking... This doesn't sound like a story what's good games would normally cover. And you're right. But like I was saying, I was going through some of our old show notes. So in April of 2018 is when we first covered this. And I thought, wow, that must have been a very, very slow news week for us to, like, stick that in there. Now, again, not that we don't appreciate the achievements and we think he should be properly recognized. But, you know, like, none of us really follow this shit. So that week... These were the stories we talked about, Andrea. Destiny 2's next expansion, Warmind, launches May 8th. Fortnite. Oh, wow. <laughs> Throwback. Fortnite servers are still down. And sources, the PlayStation 5 is still a ways off. And that was also the episode where we did our God of War review in progress. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, so oh. it was kind of a slew. But ever since then, every time this story pops up in the news, it's like we're, we're hooked now. It's like that TV show you can't turn away from. You know, you can't, you can't yeah. stop watching. Yeah, I I remember talking about this on kind of funny games daily as well, and being like, "Who cares? Why is this important?" And boy, did an army of <laughs> old school coin op fans descend on me like vultures to be like, "It's very important, Andrea." And I was like, "Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please, Jared Petty, just leave me alone." Um, <laughs> But no, like, listen, like the, the saga of it, I think, is the hysterical part to me of like, like, let it go, dude. At this point, it's like, you know, let's like, let it go. But he can't now. Now that Guinness has overturned it, it's definitely just opened the can of worms right back up again. Oh, yeah. Now the saga so, is the saga's continuing. We have at least another couple yeah. of years of this. Grab the popcorn, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. 
I feel like there's more tea and drama in this than the E.T. Uh, Atari cartridges being buried out in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, but, so oh. We'll, keep, well, we'll keep you updated. We are your number one source for Billy Mitchell news here at What's Good Games. So we'll see you. Yeah. Well, you know, our source, our source, your source for Billy Mitchell news <laughs> every Friday. Every Friday. Are we going to have a Billy Mitchell report? Is that, uh, that going to happen? Just a little Billy you Mitchell report. You want to do report. it, Steve? You, are you volunteering? Uh, Thank sure. you, Steve, for volunteering. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to the show. I'll send you regular updates. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um, my face hurts now. Um, wait, what? Yasman? No, that can't be. Microsoft shut down Mixer. What? Is that breaking right now? Mixer shut down. down Oh, God, I have it right here. Okay. Breaking news. Microsoft is shutting down Mixer and partnering with Facebook Gaming. What? What? Okay, okay. Okay, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Read this. Oh, my God. Okay, so actually, I have someone who who works at Mixer. Basically, uh, she works on actually on the accessibility side, and she just said, we didn't know this was coming. We found out right before Holy shit. Okay, so this comes from The Verge. So... Microsoft is closing its Mixer service on July 22nd and plans to move existing partners over to Facebook Gaming. The surprise announcement means Mixer partners and streamers will be transitioned to Facebook Gaming starting today, and Microsoft will no longer operate Mixer as a service in a month's time. Microsoft has struggled to reach the scale needed for Mixer to compete with Twitch, YouTube, and even Facebook Gaming, which has led to to today's decision. We started pretty far behind in terms where Mixer's monthly active viewers were compared to some of the big players out there, says Phil Spencer, Microsoft's head of gaming, in an interview with The Verge. I think the quote, I think the Mixer community is really going to benefit from the broad audience that Facebook has through their properties and the abilities to reach gamers in a seamless way through the social platform Facebook has. Microsoft is partnering with Facebook to transition existing Mixer viewers and streamers over to Facebook gaming in the coming weeks. On July 22nd, all Mixer sites and apps will automatically redirect to Facebook gaming. Existing Mixer partners will be granted partner status with Facebook gaming and any streamers using a Mixer monetization program will be granted eligibility for Facebook's Level Up program. Mixer viewers with outstanding Ember balances, channel subscriptions, or Mixer Pro subs will receive Xbox gift card credit. What? Uh, uh, wow. Wow. What, like, this is, this is my first wild. thought is like, I am like yeah. Ninja. Like, what the fuck? You just signed Ninja it's, for how? It, it sounds like, as, as well, like even partners, I guess, are kind of, they don't have that, ex- they're not specifically all, like automatically be moving to Facebook gaming, according to the, at least their tweet. For mix of partners, if you choose to join Facebook gaming, you'll be offered partner status. I, so, does this mean Ninja and Shroud are going to be like, okay, we're out? <laughs> Yes. Why wouldn't they? Why would they not take this opportunity to go back to Twitch? Like, why yeah. would they not? Like, they, I mean, I just like, there's, I have so many thoughts. Like, there's so much going through my head right now. So, yeah. first things first, the fact that they didn't give their partners a heads up about this is awful. But I understand it from a legal standpoint that they couldn't probably say anything. You definitely can't trust streamers to keep it a secret. Well, no, yeah. When you no. sell a business or something, but, yeah, anyway, go on, yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't they weren't going to do that. I mean, there's there was something big that happened within Sony like last year, and like nobody in the company knew about it. Maybe it was when Sean Layden stepped down, mm, and like nobody mm. knew he just like left. Uh, but so like really massive decisions like this happen with like a small group of people. The idea that they chose Facebook as a partner is 
intriguing, but also inherently very problematic. Oh, yeah. We obviously here at What's Good Games have worked with Facebook. I hosted for them for E3 for the last couple of years and done a lot of work with Facebook gaming. The platform difference between Facebook gaming and Mixer is vast. And Mm -hmm. the idea that streamers are going to be able to just pick up their communities and just bring them over to Facebook is... Is, is is wild, and I don't know how they expect people to do that. Not only that, but there's a lot of people out there that have inherent problems with Facebook as a company and maybe don't want to bring their community there. And now what? They have to start over somewhere else? This is this is People are going to follow them over to Facebook Gaming anyway. That's just... Ab- okay, so Spencer see this, sees this as the beginning of opportunities around gaming for Microsoft and Facebook. Quote, the teams are physically actually close to each other. We've been to each other's offices. You'll see us continuing to grow this relationship, but this will be the beginning of us seeing future opportunity together. I think we have a lot of alignment between the organizations on areas where the industry is going, how we can help each other. Microsoft will now keep hold of the technology that has powered Mixer and supported collaborative and low-latency streaming features. Microsoft Teams will start to use part of this Mixer technology in the future to improve real-life interactivity, low-latency streaming, and the Mixer developers involved will remain at Microsoft. Duh! I mean, because it's also, I mean, not to get into, like, the drama of, of life, but, I mean, from my understanding is Ninja, when he left Twitch, they did not leave on very, very good terms. So it kind of is interesting. Oh, like, no. Of course, you would think <laughs> Twitch would welcome him back with open arms, but it's kind of Oh, they will. Oh, they will. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, why wouldn't they? Like, well, it, would yeah. be, it would be hubris of them not to. Especially now when they are trying to put this face forward of inclusivity and all of that, like to take some kind of like moral high ground and not welcome back his community. I think would be a, a, a gigantic mistake. I think it's a boon for Facebook if they can convince Ninja to move to fa- if they can convince Ninja to move to Facebook Gaming. It'll be a gigantic win for Facebook. Oh, dude! But sure. I don't. No, that would has be Ninja a, made a has Ninja made a statement? I don't know. That would I be looked a, at his Twitter account. He hasn't has, uh, said anything. That would yet. be a fucking plot twist if he does go to Facebook gaming. Yeah, um, and, and thank I'm, you I'm, to uh, Yasman and, and the Dark Tiger for dropping that news in the chat and for letting us know this is crazy news. Has Shroud or any of the other giant mixers made statements? Anybody in um, chat? If you guys have seen them, let us know. Um, obviously, we'll probably have to do a follow-up on this story on the show for Friday once we get more details and once we get statements from some of their bigger streamers. Um, and I just, I'm like, that's my mind's so blown, you guys. Yeah, crazy. Shroud hasn't said anything as of yet. But also as well, like, and this is from the accessibility side, Mixer actually had an amazing um, a team behind it. Uh, uh, and this, I guess they still do if they're going over to Facebook, but in regards to accessibility. And it's it's a thing actually that I've been having an issue with in regards to all the digital events that we've been having this summer in the summer of gaming, as it were. And it's mainly because of there hasn't been any push for accessibility or accessible streams of any of the live events, um, namely because there hasn't been any live captions of a lot of them. But what Mixer did well was they had generally any time that there was a Microsoft specific event, they would have two separate streams on Mixer, one specifically for uh, that had someone uh, doing sign language and another one uh, doing audio descriptions uh, for uh, those who are blind. So they had they were taking the, the ball and running with it. But whereas Twitch hadn't been able to and i i have no idea what facebook was doing with any of that stuff but i i really do hope that at least some of the team that that i know over at mixer um will be able to kind of move over to that and be able to integrate with with facebook like this is 
this is concerning and um, I wow I well yeah and the official tweet is just mixed to partners streamers and community today we've got some very big news for you like again like Andrew was saying I get it like you can't you know secret squirrel tell anyone this because hey they're gonna leak it and whenever you sell or merge a company like you typically don't tell your employees about it ahead of time for many reasons but this is just insane wow I yeah I'm so glad that you brought that up Steve about the accessibility I think Mm -hmm. we have mentioned several times on this show like how important the work that Microsoft specifically is doing and they're an industry leader when it comes to accessibility in the gaming space and they have a commitment to do things and to be better and to help push the industry forward we have not seen this kind of a commitment from facebook at all we haven't seen anything in regards to accessibility i mean they have some options but it's as you mentioned nothing compared to what mixer was offering and we haven't even seen twitch really make a public statement about how they're going to increase accessibility either and Mm -hmm. i think that i really want facebook to come forward with a statement about how they're going to transition and, and do this and what the plan is, because this just didn't happen overnight. Like they oh, no. must have yeah. been talking about this for months. Yeah. And I do know that at least with regards to Twitch, I, I have, I have a little bit of hope because they do have uh, someone that is dedicated to accessibility at Twitch. His name is Dale Cruz. He just started ex- uh, at that position a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the one who actually helped spearhead a lot of the initiatives that they did in May for the Global Accessibility Awareness Month. And they were featuring a lot of disabled streamers on the homepage and doing a lot of push for, uh, for, for that. And that was really good to see. I hope that they can be able to do more. Um, but even an, Actually, an update from my friend who works on the accessibility side uh, at Mixer. Uh, she just also tweeted out, I'm being told I still have a job. I don't know what that job is yet. Wow. So, oh, boy. Yeah. yeah and like in, in the midst of the pandemic, too, to be on the Mixer team and have that uncertainty about what's happening with your job. But um, it's been <laughs> like I just I still am just like so. So I'm just, just so shocked that this just, this just happened. Yeah, I mean, um, Facebook of all. I mean, uh, at the, I mean, I just feel yeah, so bad for the, the the content creators and the streamers, you know, who do have those fans on on Mixer and you know do count on that revenue. Like, when you when you switch platforms, regardless, you're gonna lose a lot, and that's yeah. just really scary and really unfortunate. And damn. I think like and and I was looking just kind of quickly looking at the FAQ that they posted for their partners and it seems like that there's two dates I don't know what what specifically the, the those deadlines are but it seems like they mentioned June 30th and July 22nd as two dates um to either basically to move stuff over uh whether it's Sparks Embers partnerships subscriptions so I don't know specifically that but there's yeah there's a huge FAQ article about it um that ex- goes over at least a lot of stuff for partners but still Okay, so we'll definitely dig into that. Um, It's interesting how Mistake Theory says that sad streaming basically is a choice between two companies owned by asshole billionaires. And it's like, you know, I never thought about it that way. But if you're looking at what Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg, they don't exactly have like the best track records right now. (laughs) Yeah, they're not wrong. So... So, and like to to be clear, for the record, I really want to make sure I say this. Like the people that I have worked with on the Facebook gaming team have all been wonderful. Yes, they've all been great people. We've never had an issue like working with that team. And I've worked with the leadership several times. Like shout out to Leo, he is a wonderful person. And I hope that this 
is going to benefit people and not hurt them. I just know thinking about it through the lens as a creator for what's good games that if we had to unbeknownst to us suddenly move our entire community off of our biggest platform, like if we lost our YouTube channel or whatever, right? That that would be really devastating. Mm -hmm. That would be incredibly stressful. I would be panicked about like, how are we going to message this to everybody? Are people going to be upset at us? Obviously it's not not that the partners had nothing to do with it, but I think that we knew that something was, that Mixer wasn't going to be around forever because they just were never going to be to, to topple Twitch's massive foothold that they had in the industry. I just, I never saw this coming and I have to, I have to question Microsoft's decision to, dump a bunch of money into a very small amount of top tier streamers. Maybe that was part of what happened here is that they spent tens of millions of dollars like getting exclusive contracts for people like Shroud, for people like Ninja and a bunch of other like top tier creators that they have. Like, was it worth it? Obviously not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, as someone who like, I, I actually had was debating on like, I, I sort of had moved back to Twitch, but I was on Mixer for at least a good solid year and a half. And mm-hmm. up until just recently, and I liked the community that was, that was there. And there was, a uh, it seemed like they were moving at least from accessibility side, obviously as, as a, in the step or in the right direction. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was sort of like within the past few months, I kind of started to see a decline in, uh, and pretty much everything from viewership to, um, just like people kind of being excited to kind of be uh, on Mixer. And, and, and the funny thing is, too, I feel really bad for the developers. Like, I literally just did an internal uh, virtual talk with the Mixer developer team, like, not even a week ago. And, it, oh. it, like, there was nothing even then uh, of them knowing about it, uh, like, about what was going on. They And they were, like, really wanted to be able to find out how to be able to promote smaller streamers and, and give them an opportunity as much as the big ones and give them – they were looking into pr- wanting to provide resources for them. So, it, it, like, that's just, like, all up in the air now. But this is – I I just yeah, – don't know what to say it's crazy because i mean what does microsoft do with obviously mixer that isn't doing it for them you know probably for a variety of reasons do you just stop supporting it and continue to lose money from it like as a business you can't do that fucking businesses man they're the worst do you Mm -hmm. sell it off to someone or i guess you invest do you merge like what do you do and it sounds like this is what made this most sense for them I i don't know it's there's so much there's so much yeah, I I am I'm trying to like process like what's all going to happen with everybody on the Mixer team and knowing how big of a presence they had at gaming events over the last couple of years and how, you know, Facebook strategy is just so wildly different. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, think the thing that is concerning for me is that Facebook is focused on building platform and while they say they're focused on building community, I don't think their track record speaks to investing in community at the expense of profits. And for Mixer, that could potentially mean that they're, when Zuckerberg decides he's done with his streaming experiment in games, that it all goes away. I mean, yeah, and it's also sad, too, because you want more platforms out there for streamers because you don't want it to just be one big Twitch. It's the Twitch world, you know, because with competitors, you start getting innovative, you start growing and and coming up with new things to improve on. And 
I just, I don't know what, like, because, I mean, I thought for a minute, Mixer, when, you know, especially when they got Ninja, I was like, okay, like, this is a really big, big power move here. Maybe they really do have what it takes to really compete. And maybe it was all smoke and mirrors, or maybe it's because I wasn't really paying attention to, like, Mixer in general. Or <laughs> maybe that says a lot. But I had no idea that it was that, it was in that bad of a place. Yeah, I there was actually a I can't remember if it was Streamlabs, but there was a study done that was sort of like a streaming overall um, that was that was released just a, maybe about a month or two ago, kind of like year over year, like how how much growth each platform had had, and Twitch and YouTube had seen like over a hundred percent. Like a more uh, like audience and streaming viewers and stuff like that, whereas the growth year over year for Mixer was less than a percent. So oh. the writing was on the wall, but I had hoped that they were like going to be maybe sort of pare down and, and try to be able to like really focus on the community to make that better. Because I think you're right. Having more platforms just makes it a lot uh, a lot more competitive in the landscape but also gives more opportunities for for people to to make a living off it and and do really well and build up a, amazing communities and now when we have just facebook twitch and youtube it's a lot of people are going to get lost and that's really sad to see yeah well shit well we certainly <laughs> will have a lot more on this to cover in friday's episode hopefully we'll get statements from some from some streamers hopefully we'll get statements from Facebook gaming and I think it'll be interesting to watch other people both on the YouTube side and on the Twitch side to see how they kind of react to this news. So thank you again to folks for alerting us to this news, but we do have we do have some other things that we would like to talk about on the show like uh accessibility in games. So before we get into your guys' questions for Steve specifically, I'd like to chat with you, Steve, about mm -hmm. the video that you made and also about the experience that you had while playing The Last of Us Part Two. As I mentioned at the top of the show, if you're just joining us, we will not be doing any spoiler talk whatsoever. Uh, this is purely about the accessibility options in the game. And so I would love to hear from you, Steve, like what was it about the accessibility options that you found just so overwhelmingly powerful that it drove you to the emotion that we saw in the video you posted? Uh, yeah. So uh, full disclosure, um, I was one of the uh, accessibility consultants that was brought into Naughty Dog uh, to help with uh, and provide feedback for the accessibility options that they were working on. Um, so I, I knew kind of going in to the, to getting uh, the final version of the game that at least a, 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 a like a, a a decent amount of what they were going to be putting in, um, but it was and I did receive a review copy through the site that I, I'm a part of, CanIPlayThat.com, which is a video game review site, uh, but all based from an accessibility standpoint. And it was I, I started up the game and I thought because I was going to do a video on it and a uh, for accessibility and. I wanted to at least record my reaction to seeing the final version of, of the accessibility settings. I knew that there was 60 plus options, which is astounding in and of itself. And we can talk about some of those in, in a bit. But um, it wasn't until you boot up the game and one of the first things you see in the options is there are three presets. Uh, one specifically for blind players, one for deaf and hard of hearing players, and one for motor disabilities. And if you turn those on... It, it, it lists off all the accessibility settings that it will enable and turn on for each of those disability types. And I was looking at that and I could hear the text to speech 
going in my headphones, reading off all of the options. And I had full plans of like being like, this was going to be like a hype moment. It's going to be celebratory. I was going to say like, this is, this is awesome. I was going to put in like a little bit at the beginning of, the, of my main video. And that was, that was going to be it. And then it was hearing all those options that like the floodgates just started opening. Mm. And I cried for like a solid 10 minutes. Um, and I didn't know, like once I stopped recording, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't put this in the, in the video. It, it, com- it completely changes the tone. And I was, I, I basically it sat on my hard drive for two weeks. Uh, I didn't know what to do with it. And it wasn't until the night before the review embargo um, was to go, like was to go live. Um, we had a video, it was already recorded and it was ready. And we had everything ready to go for, can I play that? And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to edit this together. Maybe there's a clip I can be able to put in there for like just to kind of promote the our review, and I like I up until about five minutes before I posted it, I was not ready to post it at all. I was af- I was afraid of the, of the feedback, the negative feedback I was going to get, and it was it was honestly the encouragement of friends and family that they were like, "No, Steve, you got to post this." And when I did, I didn't expect the reaction that I that I got. Uh, I. I thought, yeah, okay, it, it might do a little bit okay, just based on my own following on, on Twitter, but I didn't expect for it to blow up as it did, and it's been a really crazy and surreal week, and I am just so... Uh, the main thing I'm very happy about of this whole thing is that people are now seeing why accessibility is important, and my hope is is that other developers and other studios will see that as well and want to be able to develop more in accessibility and basically now try to compete with Naughty Dog because they have a very, they set a very high bar and now it's a race to be able to see who can be able to do it better. And that to me means the absolute world. Would you say that the accessibility options in TLU2 are the best you've seen offered in any game so far? Hands down, 100%. Yeah. Um, it not only... Like, we had accessibility options in other games, and, and some of them have been have been amazing. Um, for, as an example, Gears 5 uh, had an absolute amazing suite of options for deaf and hard of hearing. Um, but on, even on the blind side, there, but there was a few games that kind of did okay, but not a lot. Like, it was always, like, it was just kind of, not necessarily bare bones, but just, like, a, a certain amount of just general accessibility settings. Ubisoft was also trying to be able to push that forward with every ver- like every game that they put out. There's always something new in accessibility they've been putting out. But that was kind of really it, in a way. And then seeing what Naughty Dog was able to put into this, like, this basically, like, for those audio listeners, uh, hard to describe, but essentially it kind of like set, they accessibility was kind of set here for, uh, for for all across the industry, and then Naughty Dog just basically just made it way up here, a miles ahead of everything else. And um, it, like I honestly like even in the game itself, I think actually there are more accessibility options than there are in the rest of the settings menu. Um, like that's how extensive this is. I was super excited to jump in there and look at all of the toggles that you could turn off and on and hearing Steimer mention all of the different combat options specifically were really exciting to me as well. And I think it's great for people to know that Naughty Dog went out of their way to work with people like you to say, hey, like we could try to do this on our own, but we should talk to the people in the community who are going to benefit most for that. And we actually had, you know, a couple of questions about this. So 
I think the first one that I wanted to ask, and you can completely, you know, let us know if you can't answer this. Um, Devin Roten says, happy Monday. As we all know, the accessibility options within TLU2 are incredible. I wanted to ask Steve, if not under NDA, while working with Naughty Dog, if they said anything about sharing their knowledge to others within the industry. And if you can't answer that, I'd love to know what surprised you most during the process of working with them. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can't say much about the the, pro- the development process in regards to that. I can say – so I, I honestly uh, can't say if, if they're going to be sharing that with other studios or anything like that. I do know that when – if you turn on an accessibility option in uh, in the game, it does send that tracking information to Sony and Naughty Dog so that they can be able to make accessibility improvements. Um, so – they had like they didn't just sort of develop these tools and just want to set it at that. They wanted to be able to improve upon it. Um, so that gives me uh, hope that that is something that they could be able to uh, they'll be able to work on. Um, as uh, as far as the second part of that question, uh, I wish I could say kind of like what what was kind of done on the, on that side, but it was definitely even being there and seeing what was what they had. I knew this, there was something special there. And like, it, it, this really was a full studio initiative. This wasn't, and because a lot of times you go into studios and, and, and I've been to a few uh, for consulting side, there's usually like maybe one person or a small team that is kind of like wants to be able to work on accessibility and they kind of help sort of uh, divvy up those, those tasks to rest of the studio. But this was from the top down from, from Neil Druckmann all the way down to uh, every other developer that was on the team. Like this was something that they started from the very beginning of the process. Um, They wanted to make accessibility from, from the start and by bringing in accessibility consultants that helped kind of provide feedback along the way and gave them touchstones to, want to be able to work towards it. Like it really does show it kind of gives a roadmap to other studios that says, okay, you know what? Like if you want to be able to create as robust of settings as this is and still create a challenging game for those with disabilities, because that's another thing too, is that a lot of people think that just turning on accessibility settings will just make the game easier. And honestly, from my, my perspective, it still kept the challenge of the game intact, even with the accessibility options that I had. And that was something that uh, was very, very special to me. And again, this kind of gives a, a roadmap to other studios to be like, hey, you want this kind of options, but also make a really great game? This you can like this use this as an idea of where of where to go. And I I'm gonna very excited to see like within five years from now where studios are going to take this and run with it. Um, we probably won't see a lot of studios unless Sony was working with the, their first parties with these options in mind from the uh, from the other projects that we're going to see within the next two three years, um, and even going into the PS5. So. I don't know what that's going to be, but I would say within five years from now, we're going to start to see more games come out with uh, hopefully just as many, if not more, accessibility options. Hell yes. Indeed. And yes, Brittany has begun her playthrough. <laughs> oh, Pearly, oh, who's yeah. asking? I'm like ten, nine to ten hours in at this point. So I still have a um, ways so, to go. Yes. Yes, you do. Uh, Steve, another question for you. From Val, do you consider being able to turn gore off in gameplay and accessibility option? And do you have any thoughts about not being able to do so in the sequel? Customization is something we're always looking for. And it's not something like we, the more customization we have uh, for players, the better it can be and allows us to be able to create an experience that's more comfortable for uh, uh, us within the disability community to be able to play. Um, but I, and I think that having, 
having an option to be able to turn gore off, I would have I would have preferred that. Um, we've seen games that have it before, so I, I think that having that would be beneficial. Um, and to answer as to why they probably they, they didn't have it in this game, uh, I don't know. I think in a way, I guess it serves the story they want to tell, but that's as much as I can really know. The gore is the poison yeah, in this yeah, game. Yeah. <laughs> the next question is... Oh, um, Dark Knight writes, out of all the accessibility options available in The Last of Us Part Two, which option would you like to see more games offer? And in lieu of you saying all of them, which is a really good answer, <laughs> maybe it would help if you picked one that particularly spoke to you uh i'll i'll give you i'll do a compromise and i'll do uh, the three that worked best for me and i'll and i'll briefly kind of go over them uh one of them was high contrast mode um which basically allows you uh it kind of creates a, this sort of uh, uh kind of muted sort of white background uh, and it kind of creates your your character is blue and the enemies are red and items you pick up are yellow and for someone like myself that it's hard for me to be able to distinguish certain things from like a very dark background having that high contrast mode uh, uh, is great and you can be able to turn it on and off uh, at this like at any given point and that's why I love the touchpad on the DualShock because a lot of controls are, are kind of based on that if you swipe left on the touchpad you can turn high contrast mode on and off and as well using the touchpad there is a, a, a accessibility setting called zoom where essentially you double tap on the touchpad and it will zoom in to wherever you want on the screen and then using your finger you can actually slide your finger across the touchpad and it will move the cursor around the screen so you can be able to uh, see things that you need to so if i need to see okay is that an enemy at the in the distance or is that uh, is that a tree? Uh, being able to have that zoom feature was is great, and you can double tap to zoom in and double tap to zoom out. And then another uh, what was really great for me was a lot of the audio cues. Uh, there is an amazing audio glossary um, for those who are blind that if they want to know what button to be able to push in certain things, they actually have sound effects for each button to be able to push. And what's great too is that the subtlety, like in the the detail they have in this. So if you're going into a room and you you know you scan the room and you know that there's items there you have a sound effect that basically lets you know okay press tr- like you're here you can press triangle but what's great too is they added an extra sound effect in that to let you know what you're interacting with so if you you hear the sound effect for triangle right after that you'll hear a sound effect for a drawer opening or a, a horse whinny uh, or being able to squeeze through walls like you have oh, like climbing up ropes like they're like it allows you to as if you have no sight you can be able to play this and like and be able to know exactly what it is that you're um, that you're basically like interacting with and having that along with text to speech like every piece of text is re- like readable uh, and it ha- like even the title card uh, when that comes up, it's like your Texas speech say the last of us part two, like that, that's how much detail there is. And just those few things. And those are the few things that I touched on. There are a lot more that, that, that fills many different spectrums of disabilities. And I, I think it's like, as I think there was an audio, uh, one of the audio engineers at, uh, at Naughty Dog had basically come out and said that you can be able to play this game without sight and you can be able to play it blindfolded, which is in, in, like awesome and that for sightless players we haven't really had a, a game like that and there could be improvements for sure and we there's a few features that we would love to be able to see but this is by far the like the most robust i've ever seen that is so fucking awesome i just love hearing you talk about this <laughs> because you know i also dived into the accessibility options was kind of scrolling through them 
and it was quite a learning experience for me because there are options in there that I never even would have thought about because, you know, I'm very fortunate that I typically don't have any issues when I play video games. But I love being educated and learning about this. And that's why I think it's so important that you posted your video is because that's what I think we all need to see and be reminded of is the actual impact that this can have on people. And just, yeah, thanks. That's all I got. Thanks, friend. <laughs> no. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Accessibility for the win. Yeah. Yes. And I just echo everything that Britt said. Could not have said it better myself. So, Steve, thank you so much for giving us your time, for joining us once again on the show. We definitely need to do another stream. I had so much fun playing Warzone with you and Ree yes. and Ka the other uh, the other week. So for people who want to learn more about your work and find out about where they can you know watch you and listen to you, um, where can people do that? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Steve Saylor uh, or my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash snowball. I do a lot of accessibility stuff on there or all the work that we do at Can I Play That. Uh, I'm the media editor there for caniplaythat.com. And if you want to know sort of uh, what uh, – uh, what games are like are really good for people with disabilities, um, whether you're deaf, hard of hearing, motor disabilities, or blind, uh, you can be able to go there. And uh, we have amazing, we have a, a ton of coverage for Last of Us Part Two. If you want to do a deep dive into the accessibility options for it, awesome! Thank you so much, Steve. You guys have got all the information now. We will have more info for you on all of the stories that are breaking around this mixer business uh, later in the week. And as Brittany mentioned, we will, of course, be streaming for that cyberpunk event on Thursday. So keep an eye on our Twitter account. What's going on for when you get to watch a live. For now, enjoy the rest of your Monday, everybody. And we'll see you later.